I want you to try to think and reflect, maybe, and I don't know if this is the case for you, but I, I, I generally find that most people can relate to this. If there's someone in your life or has been in your life that was an encouragement to you, uh, maybe it was when you're growing up, that maybe just come alongside you, who shared some thoughts, who brought some wisdom, who, who said some things. Uh, maybe you were uh, you know, a troubled teen or you had some issues, you had some problems or maybe you lacked confidence or, or um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, you've had someone in your life that has come alongside you. Can anyone, can you think of someone even right now, maybe just a show of hands, where you've had someone in your life that has just come alongside you and brought an encouraging word or just even journeyed with you? I know that there's been several people in my life even as a child and moving up in different phases of my life where certain people have come alongside and journeyed with me. I want to talk this morning as we look at this new series about the power of words, the power of words, the words that we speak to one another. They did some research in uh, some schools, pre-primary schools, and they looked at actual energy levels of children. And, and the energy levels of children, when the teacher uh, encouraged or gave uplifting instructions or come alongside of children and, and just kind of uh, not necessarily praised them, but encouraged them to do well or to study or to, to, to do the tasks, compared to when they just gave them a task, didn't encourage or even discouraged them or told them they were taking too long, or told them they weren't doing very good at it. And they looked at the different energy levels that came from that. And they actually found that the children, uh, when they received positive encouragement or encouraging words to finish a task or to do a task, their energy levels actually went up. Whereas when they were discouraged, their energy levels dropped and they were kind of like bored and and then started getting distracted. Um, the, The power of words the power of words, so much so that they can affect how we feel, they can affect how we act, they can affect even our energy levels, um, not just in children, but even us as adults. The old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's probably not true, is it? Words actually do hurt. Words do cause pain and do cause um, grief and suffering. Let's have a look at this passage here, James, you may know it well, uh, James chapter 3. James is a very practical book and in chapter 3 he talks about the power of the tongue, how the tongue is small yet powerful. Look what he says there, when we put uh, bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. The, the horse is strong and powerful but with this tiny little half a kilo chunk of steel you can make a horse stop you can make a horse turn he's he's relating it to how the the tongue works or take ships as an example although they are so strong and are driven by strong winds they are steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot uh, wants to go likewise the tongue is small or a small part of the body but makes great boasts a big, powerful ship, thousands of thousands of kilos, hundreds and hundreds of sailors on this boat can be moved by a, a, a rudder that's, what, a meter, meter long. He goes on and says, Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And we know how destructive and, uh, fires can be, how much suffering and grief they can. Started by a small little spark, a whole bushfire can start. 
And again, he's relating to this aspect of the tongue. The tongue is also, uh, also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it's uh, self set on fire by hell not very positive towards the tongue all kinds of animals birds and reptiles creatures of the sea being tamed have tamed uh, been tamed by man but no man no person can tame the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison almost wants you to make you want to cut it out but and and so what he's saying here is the tongue is incredibly small incredibly powerful but incredibly destructive now there's also the other side of that the tongue can be very uh, productive very positive and 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 is good as well here he's focusing on the negative aspect of it and in fact in earlier chapter he talks about how someone who a person who tames the tongue uh, he uses the word teleos which is translated to to be perfect Someone who can tame the tongue is perfect, but actually the word is more to do with maturity, that a wise, mature Christian is someone who has tamed their tongue. A wise, mature Christian is someone who has control over their tongue, knows how to use their tongue to bring encouragement, to bring rebuke in a, in a loving way, but knows how to use the tongue. The tongue is powerful. The words we speak are power, whether they're used for good or whether they're used for bad whether they bring encouragement or whether they bring discouragement whether they build up or whether they tear down think of the words spoken by great leaders think of the words of Winston Churchill the rally cry in World War II you might know it off by heart anyone know this turned the whole country around we shall fight on the beaches we shall fight on the landing grounds we shall fight in the fields and in the streets we shall fight in the hills we shall never surrender powerful powerful words i'm not advocating for war but the, the fact that those words a rally cry turned a whole nation to stand up and and fight what about the powerful words of martin uh, luther king jr i have a dream i have a dream now that's connected to a, to a story to a narrative i have a dream that one day people know these words because they're powerful they're strong our words can sway people to violence or they can move them to the greatest of, of good or the greatest of actions. Our words can instruct the uninformed or teach uh, people who are learning, encourage the dejected and, and comfort the soaring and soothe the dying or our words can crush the human spirit, destroy reputations. People's reputations have been utterly destroyed by someone's tongue or someone's mouth spread distrust and hate and actually bring nations to the brink of war if we look at the story of humanity we see nations go to war because of the things that have been said the power of words i love you you're important to me thank you so much how can i repay you great work keep it up i'm proud of you will you marry me Will you marry me? You're beautiful. You're intelligent. Awesome effort. Keep going. Don't give up. I hate you. I wish you'd never been born. You disgust me. Did you hear about what's her name? Oh, she's so dumb. Nobody cares about you. You're a waste of space. Loser. Idiot. Fool. I'm never going to speak to you again. I want a divorce. 
Now, I'm not losing it. Some of you are looking at me like, what is he not taking his medication? Words are powerful, aren't they? And even in me sharing some of those words, there would have been hundreds of emotions. And maybe you've experienced some of those words, the positive and the negative, but the words are powerful. Will you marry me? You're beautiful. You're a loser. You're an idiot. And this morning we start our series, Practical Wisdom in the Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs is an interesting book, and uh, it's written by uh, Solomon, King Solomon, one of the wisest person to have walked the earth, and, and he seeked wisdom. He prayed to God, God, give me wisdom. I want wisdom. I have everything else. And so this book is ris- written by him and, and some other people. Some other people have uh, maybe added some stuff to the, the, the book of Proverbs, but he's the primary author. Now, the goal of the book of Proverbs It's actually written in in chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. And basically the goal is to describe what wisdom is. This book, he says, is to describe what wisdom is and what, what, um, not only to describe what wisdom is, but also to help God's people become wiser. Now wisdom, he says, is founded in what? The fear of the Lord. Firstly, we we, we come before the Lord humbly and that's where wisdom, uh, wisdom starts that we are human, God is God, that we honour God, reverence, and that's where wisdom starts. But then he goes in and he brings a whole heap of practical aspects that us as followers of Jesus should be applying into our day-to-day lives. And some of this stuff is just solid, good, practical wisdom. Now, again, is it our own efforts? Yes, there's an aspect of us wanting to pursue this and do this, but also the reliance on the Holy Spirit to help us in these pursuits. And so we look at these practical uh, aspects of wisdom over the next four or five weeks and and basically there's some proverbs that I've chosen some are well known some are a little bit obscure but the first one we're looking at today is to do with words and in fact proverbs if you look at proverbs 18 21 uh, is full of this aspect words kill words give life they're either poison or fruit you choose that's pretty pretty bam smack right in the middle of your face words that kill you or they give life. They're either poison or they bring fruit. And what does he say at the end? You get to choose. You get to choose what words you, you use. Proverbs 21, 33. Watch your words and hold your tongue. You'll save yourself a lot of grief. Basically, talk less, I think is what he's saying there. Watch your words and hold your tongue. You'll save yourself a lot of grief. I was reading a story about a lady uh, who had a throat condition. And it was so bad, the doctor said, you're not allowed to speak for six months. No speaking for six months. Now, this lady, she had six kids and one husband. That's a lot of work. Six kids and one, how is she going to do it? And the doctor said, can't speak. So she had a whistle that she would blow when she needed help, or she had a whistle that she would blow when she wanted their attention. And then she would write down stuff that she's thinking or wanting to say. After the six months, throat was great. Doctor said, you can start speaking. And, and her husband asked her a question, what was, what was the greatest thing you learned out of writing things down? And she said this, these are her words, you'd be surprised how many notes I crumpled up and threw into the bin before I gave them to anyone. Seeing my words before anyone heard them had an effect I don't think I can ever forget. So seeing what she was going to say before she said them, was like, oh, I can't say that. That looks terrible. That sounds terrible. That's a bad one. It's that passage there of, of um, watch your words and hold your tongue. You'll save yourself a lot of grief. 
But the proverb I want to look at this morning, the proverb that we're going to just quickly go through, it's a beautiful, beautiful proverb, and it speaks to the positive aspect or the positive effect of, of, of words. We know the negative and, and, and we want to push away from that, but the positive impact words can have. Look at this proverb, Proverbs 16.24. It's a beautiful proverb. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. That just sounds healing, doesn't it? Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. The New Living Translation says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Now in ancient biblical culture, honey was probably the, the, the sweetest thing that they could eat. Uh, there was no Krispy Kremes or, or anything like that. So honey was, was, was sweet. The uh, honeycomb and the liquid form dripping down was this beautiful, beautiful, sweet nectar. And, and so the author is saying that, that pleasant words are like this, this honeycomb, sweet to the soul. But not only is it sweet for the soul, the spiritual aspect of who you are, but also says health to the bones. And honey was used for like a medicinal purpose as well, putting on wounds. And, and when you think about getting down to the bones, it's kind of saying your whole body, isn't it? You know, when, when it's in the bones... You know that it's getting everything. I don't know. So, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Uh, sometimes you sneeze that hard, it hurts your bones. Have you ever had that? Like you sneeze and oh, your bones kind of rattle a little bit. Maybe it's just me, but but that's like it, it gets right into you. And so the author is saying that that sweet words, pleasant words, kind words, they soothe your soul. They're like sweetness to your soul. Well-chosen words are delightful and desirable as honey from a honeycomb. They uplift and they nourish their soul. They restore the health of a person's body. Now, the, the Hebrew word there, pleasant, or uh, NIV's translated it, present, NLV's said kind words. It's not just flattery. It's not just nicisms. Oh, your hair smells nice. Or, oh, do you look really nice in that dress there's not nothing wrong with that but it's not just flattery or, or nicisms to to say using kind words it's actual in helpful communication that seeks to meet the listener's needs to meet the listener's needs to to bring these pleasant words of sweetness to the soul so it's not just saying something for the sake of saying something something that you think would be kind or oh, anthony i love your your big nose you know, or your bald head. No, it's not, it's, it's, it's a richness. There's a, there's a thought that goes behind it. Speaking pleasant words. Three things that it does. They encourage. First thing is they encourage. Turn to the person next to you and say encourage. Did anyone get spat on? No. <laughs> they encourage. When we speak pleasant words, it encourages other people. And we look through, again, the New Testament, encourage one another, encourage. We see this time and time again, this command to encourage. There was a former U.S. warship commander, Mike Abrashoff. He was the commander of a large warship and uh, he ran a tight ship. But one of the things that he was different from other commanders was his retention rate. The amount of uh, sailors that would continue as sailors, I think they have a term of employment and then after five years they, they're committed to the Navy and then they can choose whether they stay on. Uh, well, his was something like 45% higher retention rate than other vessels. 
And the reason was he put it down to the fact that he encouraged. The commanding officer of a ship is authorised, he says, to hand out 15 medals. Uh, They're allowed to hand out 15 medals a year. You know how many he would hand out? Around 100 every year. Now, uh, he says, uh, this is what he says, there's absolutely no downside to this symbolic gesture provided it's done done sincerely and without hype. And so people on the ship, because of this encouragement, because of these pleasant words, it was like honey to their soul, sweet to their soul. It was soothing to their bones. And that's why his retention was so high. Encouragement is like oxygen, isn't it? Mark Twain says, I can live for two months on a good compliment. A good compliment keeps you going for two months. John Maxwell uh, says, never underestimate the power of an encouraging word. Have you ever uh, been in a situation where you're struggling and whatever it is, and someone just says something and it just encourages you? And they might not even know it, but it brings encouragement, yeah? So never underestimate from the flip side of that, when you bring an encouragement, bring an encouraging word. The beautiful thing about the word encourage, the word encourage means to, to give courage. Look, you can see there's the word courage inside the word encourage, to give courage. And when you're actually encouraging someone, uh, you come alongside them and then you impart courage. You give them a chunk of courage. So to encourage means to give a chunk of courage. Discourage means to what? Take courage. Take a chunk of courage. So when we give pleasant words, one of the things it does is encourage. It gives that person some courage. Here's some courage. I think you need it or you need this courage to encourage. Several years ago, here's a picture of my family and I. We went to the Gold Coast. It was a, long, it was a while ago. My youngest Josiah there probably was about, he was young. I can't remember how old he was. I reckon he's probably six, maybe. Six, yeah, we got six. Uh, and there was our friends from the US. We did surfing lessons, me in the background, the tall one. Um, and we, we did surfing. It was on the Coolangatta. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried getting one of those wetsuits on. It's not easy, but try taking it off uh, when your body's covered in hair. It's hard. And um, so we went surfing and we had an instructor. We got surfboards and Coolangatta there, Coolangatta. These beautiful sets, perfect place to learn. They just kind of roll in. And so uh, there was two instructors. Uh, one, one instructor took the whole crew and another instructor took the two little ones, Josiah, my son, and Sienna, uh, the, little, the little girl there. And me being uh, Captain Safety, again, that's my family nickname, I was like, nah, I'm not leaving the little fella. He's, he's, you know, he's got a good center of balance. But in the water, there's things, there's sharks, there's tsunamis. There's, there's all these things you've got to be alert and worried about. So I decided to stay with the instructor because uh, he was with the two little ones. And, 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 and Josiah, you know, he had this massive board and I could see a little bit of fear in his eyes, probably because he could see the fear in my eyes. Because I'm thinking, how's he going to do this? You know, I'm worried about everything, the Titanic. I'm thinking anything to do with the ocean, Moby Dick, all of this stuff. He's got to worry about. He gets out there and the instructor was brilliant. The instructor was brilliant. He looked in his eyes and said, buddy, you've got this. You can do this. Easy. Get on the board. And he, was, and he would hold the board for a little bit and he was encouraging and he'd fall off. Get up. Come on. You're meant to be on the board. He was encouraging. Within half an hour, he was surfing, uh, taking these waves. I wasn't. I was still stressed. I was, but, but he wasn't. Why? 
because the instructor gave him what? Courage. Came alongside and here's the courage. He didn't give me any courage. Uh, I, was, I wasn't taking the courage. But, but that was a perfect example of coming alongside and giving courage. These two were surfing and absolutely enjoying it. Um, meanwhile, I was on safe uh, shark watch. But to encourage means to impart courage. So pleasant words they encourage. The other thing they do is they comfort. They comfort. What is comfort? To ease pain. To receive comfort means to ease pain or to, to ease grief, to ease distress. Now we can do that practically. We can come alongside and help ease stress and uh, grief and, and that kind of stuff. Sometimes there's nothing we can do but actually just listen and hear. But actually sometimes when we give a, a pleasant word or a kind word, it actually brings comfort. It brings healing to the wounded, to, to hurting hearts. Again, maybe you can relate to this, that you've been in a point where, where you've been grieving or you've been upset and someone shared something and it's brought comfort. Now the other, the other can happen as well. Someone shares something and it brings distress, but it's true that we can bring comfort with our pleasant words. It has medicinal value, remember. Proverbs 25, 11 says, the right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. And if we're the ones sharing that, we want to be asking the Holy Spirit, give me a word to share. Proverbs 12, 18 says, a wise person will use his or her words to bring healing and life to other people. That wise people actually use their words to bring healing, to bring comfort to people in their lives. Proverbs 12, 25, an ancient heart weighs a man down or a person down, but a kind word cheers them up. Uh, last year, I remember, no, not, no, last year was last year. The year before, when I finished up um, pastorate at Lakeside after 25 years, I was, and both of me and my wife, were grieving the loss of something that we loved. And um, there was, I went on this uh, leadership thing that I'm involved in. And, and one of the speakers said, and I think I may have shared this, he, he made this d- distinction between calling and assignment. He says, you have uh, one calling but many assignments. And so for me, that spoke to me. It brought comfort. Yes, my calling is to be a pastor. Many assignments. I've only had one assignment, which was that, but I'm going to have more assignments. So that, that simple word, he didn't know. He was just sharing it because he's a leadership guru. But for me, oh, it brought comfort. And maybe you've experienced that. Pleasant words bring comfort. They bring encouragement. They bring comfort. And lastly, they bring strength that we bring strength. When you share a pleasant word, you can strengthen someone. You can strengthen someone. Um, They did, again, this is studies, uh, the power of words on marathon runners. Marathon runners, um, the the concept of hitting the wall, an actual concept where you physically, your body just starts to shut down and fatigue wants you to stop, your mind, everything forces you to stop and the brain actually drops in dopamine during this time. The dopamine levels drop in the brain, the motivation drops therefore, and you just want to stop. Now, they have this thing where they call, it's called spectator strategy. I, I might set it up for when I'm preaching, uh, you know, get about 15 minutes in, yes, amen. But what they do is they, they put spectators at certain points where this, this dopamine level drops due to the fatigue where they're hitting the wall, where friends or fans... Uh, along this track, what do they do? 
pleasant encourage, bring encouraging words, bring present words. And that helps, it actually lifts the dopamine level for the person to continue killing themselves by running this marathon. It kind of doesn't make sense. Keep going, you're going to kill yourself. Um, isn't, it's so incredible, the power of words. These, and it's, it's called spectator strategy. It brings strength. They hear these words and it strengthens them to finish the race. Look at here, Ephesians 2, 4, uh, 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Wow. I'm not going to lie, I struggle with that. Do not let un- any unwholesome talk. Sometimes when we think of that, we think of cussing and swearing, but it's not just that. It's words that tear down. It's words that don't encourage. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, for strengthening. To build up means to what? To strengthen, to kind of put some footings or some a scaffolding around to help keep that, to strengthen according to their needs that they may benefit those who listen. Pleasant words encourage, they comfort and they strengthen. Listen to this poem. I'm not sure who wrote it. Um, I watched them tearing a building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a ho-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the sidewalk fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled as the men you hired if you had to build? He gave a laugh and said, no indeed, just common labourer is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken a year to do. And, though, and, and I thought to myself as I went on my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by the rule and square? Am I shaping my deeds to well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks the town, content with the labour of tearing down? Tearing down makes something weaker, doesn't it? Building up makes something stronger. Are you a builder or a wrecker? Pleasant words build up, pleasant words strengthen. Pleasant words encourage, they comfort, and they strengthen. One action step, really quick. How do we do that? This is it here. Think first. Think before you speak. We want to get in the habit of encouraging and looking for opportunities to encourage, but the very simple tip of think first will help immensely. Uh, when we had our first child, uh, we had one of those baby monitors. Uh, and so you, um, you're in the room, the monitor's in the kitchen, you can hear what the baby's doing. By the age of six months, our kids were doing timetables, all that kind of... No, they weren't. Um, but I remember once my beautiful mother-in-law was over to stay, and she was such a pain. Uh, no, she was great. She was really good. Uh, but she just loved being around the kids and she stayed because uh, they were in Bunbury. They were living in Bunbury and they came down to stay. And she was, for some reason, oh, driving me nuts. And we're in, the, we're in the baby's room. She was in the kitchen. I'm getting mad at her mum. Then we realised the baby monitor was on. <laughs> and so she could hear everything that I was saying about my lovely mother-in-law, about her. Um, do you remember that? Do I apologise for that? Um, but I was like, oh, a foot in my mouth. Think first. Look at the words of King David's psalm. Uh, maybe this could be our prayer. 
Uh, Psalm 141.3, set a guard over your mouth. Yes. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, a lot of, again, we, can, we could delve deeper because our words actually come from where? Our heart. So there's a lot of heart work we want to do. But still, this stuff helps. Because when you think first, you can think, oh, where's that coming from? And then in Psalm 19, 14, I really love, may the words of my mouth, and this is a prayer that we could pray every morning when we wake up, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, see how they're linked, be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Any words and meditations of a heart that are pleasing to God will be pleasing to others, won't they? So let's think first. Quick little acronym. How do you say that word? Acronym. Think first. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? So is it true? Firstly, is this actually, what am I sharing? Is this just gossip? Am I just making this up? Or is it actually true? So much of the stuff we may share is not even real or false. Is it helpful? Will the words uh, you're about to share or talk bring help, uh, bring maybe a, a solution to the problem? Is it inspiring? You're going to build someone up. Is it necessary? Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. But we just want to... Just don't talk. Is it necessary? And the third one, is it kind? Are your words based on a desire to help? Let's read this verse together. Proverbs 16, 24. Let's go. One, two, three. Pleasant words. Beautiful verse, yeah? Let me pray. Most gracious Father, thank you. Uh, for the fact that your words, the words that you speak to us, the words that you speak to us through the, the word of God, the, the Bible is like honeycomb to our soul and to our bones. Father, help us to be speakers of, 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 hun- of, of sweetness, of kindness. Help us to bring pleasant words that bring encouragement, that bring comfort, that bring... Um, our strength as well, Father. Bring all of them, we pray, through our words. Help us to do that. Lord, if we've been challenged or convicted today, may we bring it to you and start afresh, Father. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.